Welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast with your host, Dr. Dana Pung, and myself, Dr. Elise Hutt. Join us as we talk to inspiring clinicians who have redefined their careers. Today, I welcome to the podcast, Dr. Janice Tan. Dr. Janice Tan is a GP and digital health expert who has just started a new role as the clinical director at Telstra Health. She has experience working in advisory roles in digital health, providing clinical insight on Australia's primary health ecosystem to various organizations, including startups, established companies, government bodies, and investment arms. She is passionate about advocating for health technology innovation to improve workflows and reduce inefficiencies in primary care. Hi, Dr. Janice Tan. Welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on here. I'm very excited that this is your first ever podcast. So welcome to the podcasting world. Thank you. Please don't hold it against me. I've never done this before. So fingers crossed. Now, I know that you've just started a new role, but to start us off, I want you to share with the audience what your new role is. Well, I started last week as the clinical director at Telstra Health, where I will be working across their primary aged care and community units and their enterprise clinical excellence business units as well. So hoping to help drive a lot of clinical safety and clinical governance within the company. So exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Am I right in understanding you're still working clinically as well? What's your clinical work entail? Yes. So I am still a GP. I don't think I will ever stop being a GP. I currently work in a GP clinic in Southwestern Sydney as well. How do you actually divide that time? How much GP do you work? So this year, the theme of 2024 for me is balance. And so I am doing 0.4 full-time equivalent of being a GP and 0.6 with Telstra Health. It wasn't the case last year when I was doing a couple of other roles, but we are holding ourselves to our 2024 resolutions. Yeah, I'm interested to get a bit into the other roles that you've done along the way, but I want to start at the beginning. Can you tell me, do you know what age you were when you first started thinking about medicine and what drew you to medicine in the first place? I was quite a late bloomer into medicine. I would say year 11. I know some kids grew up thinking that they wanted to be a doctor, but neither of my parents were doctors. And I actually came into medicine because it was my second choice. I really like science, chemistry, biology growing up, and I also really like problem solving. And so I was gearing myself towards a chemical engineering degree or biomedical engineering degree. And it wasn't until year 11 when I um, went to a university open day and I found out that I was going to be doing maths for the first two or three years at university and I absolutely hated mathematics and so I knew I couldn't put myself through that and so that's when I went back to the drawing board and started thinking you know what else combined my love for science problem solving and also talking to people and that's when I came across medicine. And did you get in straight out of school then or did you take a little of a convoluted path to get there? No, I was quite lucky to get in straight into an undergraduate degree at UNSW. And if anyone knows about UNSW, they know that it's full of lots of gunners at UNSW who would know what specialty they wanted to aim for in like their first ever tutorial. And I always felt like a fish out of water there just because I never felt like I belonged to a specialty and so never really belonged to the neurosurgeon kids or to the orthopedic kids or to the psychiatry kids either. 
I went to Armadale Uni, University yep. of New England. Did not have that. Did definitely did not have that divide. <laughs> and where did you start your junior doctor years? Was that in Sydney as well? Yes, that's correct. I started my junior doctor year at my seventh preference. So in New South Wales, how you get your internship is that you stack it all up and then it goes into some random Excel document, which would randomly spit out which hospital networks you end up going to. So I stacked mine up really poorly because I wanted Prince of Wales. I wanted Royal Prince Alfred. I wanted Royal North Shore. And I got Hornsby Hospital, which was my seventh preference, which ended up being a huge blessing in disguise because the cohort there was small and it was all very cohesive. So I was really glad I started out at Hornsby Hospital. And how did you find your junior doctor years? Had anything taken your fancy by that point in the way of specialties or are you still unsure? Totally still unsure. I think I had a very similar vibe to my university experience. I thought I always felt trapped if I spent too much time locked into treating one particular organ. For example, you know, I started off my very first term with renal medicine and everyone thought like kidneys, how interesting. And they were interesting. But towards the end of my three month rotation, I was like, oh, no, I can't do kidneys my entire life. And rinse and repeat with all the other rotations I went through. And that's why at the end of my two years, I sort of lean more towards a generalist specialty, so emergency and general practice. And I actually went, pursued an emergency career for a brief while before I went into GP land. I did a PGY3 year at a major trauma hospital, briefly flirted with applying for emergency training before I settled on general practice. And how did you find GP training? GP training was very interesting, very different from the hospital because with the hospital, very fortunate in the sense that we were all very well supported and if there was anything that needed to be followed up, the GP could do it. But then when you went into GP training, suddenly you were the end of the buck and yes, we had supervisors and yes, I was well supported, but it really just strengthened my perception that really primary care is the backbone of healthcare in Australia. And do you have a particular interest area in GP? A hot take for me is that I don't. I think given I'm a female GP, you end up seeing lots of women's and children's health. But I do have a huge passion for doing a bit of everything. And see, this is where my stubbornness to not dedicate myself to a particular interest still rings through. I still do a bit of mental health. I do a lot of chronic disease management. And from time to time, I like to throw in a couple of procedures here and there, whether it's skin biopsies, helping do casting, lacerations, or even women's health things like marinas and implants. Yeah, cool. And then you've made a big transition into digital health. Was there a particular point that you remember getting interested in that area or did it happen gradually? Yeah, so I would say the first point of contact between me and digital health, the first meet-cute point was the Clinical Careers in Medicine conference in 2018. I think, I believe that was the first ever conference. And I remember rocking up there, dead tired, right after an ED night shift, you know, was going to give the conference a miss, but I was too cheap because I bought the ticket already. So I was like, you know what, I'll just head over there. And that's where and realized that digital health could be a potential avenue for me to explore. 
But I put that on the back burner for what, a bit because I needed to start GP training. It wasn't until COVID where it came back up again and re-emerged because I think COVID in 2020 really brought to the fore how archaic our health IT systems were and mainly driven because there was a lack of clinician core design. And from then on, I managed to get myself into regular focus groups with companies like MedApps, HealthShare, who I ended up working for afterwards, and also somehow managed to get the representative role as the GP registrar for the Safe Script New South Wales Working Group, which was very interesting to be involved with. I then took the opportunity to do the CHIA, which is the Certificate of Health Informatics Australasia with CCIM. And again, bless MND, she created a study group for this, completely free for CCIM members. And I found that the most useful part about doing the certificate, because for about, I think, eight weeks or eight or nine weeks, eight to 10 of us would meet every week for an hour and a half where, you know, we would divvy up the certificate contents and we would present it and study together this would be run by MND and Shane Solomon which both of them are legends in their own right in the digital health space so that was really great too and from then on I just naturally transitioned into a role again advertised by CCIM at HealthShare as their clinical consultant working across some of their primary care products where I was there for about three years before moving to my current role in Telstra Health. That was incredible. I love how much of a role CCIM had in all of this. I'm interested to know how you got those focus group opportunities. Were they unpaid things? Were they paid? How did you actually present yourself for those all those roles? Honestly, the safe script New South Wales role, it came through GP Synergy, who was my training organization at the time, and it came into a newsletter, and all I needed to do was express interest. And for MedApps and HealthShare, those focus group opportunities came from CCIM again. All three of them were paid. That's pretty impressive. I feel like people wouldn't necessarily expect to get those sort of things. Was there a particular thing they were looking for training background wise that set you apart from other people? I think at that point, I brought in the perspective of being a younger GP. I say that with air quotation marks because I was still a GP registrar at the time. So I guess they wanted a bit more of a fresher perspective. And additionally, it was something that by virtue of me being interested in it, it was a good sign of having someone who wanted to change the system and wanted to, who was interested in giving some clinical core design advice to. Were you doing GP regging full time? Yes, I was. It wasn't too bad, actually. It was four and a half days of GP regging. And I was very fortunate to have an amazing supervisor for my first two terms. And it is the same place I'm currently working at now. Oh, amazing. That sounds like a lot to be doing on top of training. Yeah, no, I would say like people always ask me how I juggle a lot of these advisory roles and in addition to doing clinical work. And I just want to put it out there that first and foremost, like it is a privilege that I'm able to do so. Very lucky that I am in good health and have no chronic conditions, but also don't have any dependents as well. So that means time after my clinical sessions are my own. And that's when I have the time to juggle a lot of this advisory work. Mm. It sounds like from what you said at the beginning that you've tried to scale back this year, how many extracurricular hours were you doing in all of these other roles on top of your full-time work previously? 
it wasn't great. So I think towards the end of 2023, when I was tallying up all my numbers, I was doing 1.0 full-time equivalent as a GP. And I would say about 0.6, 0.7 full-time equivalent with my other advisory roles. And I'm highly cognizant that equals to 1.6, 1.7, and which is why it wasn't sustainable. And so when that Telstra Health role came up, I thought it would be a great opportunity to consolidate all my experience and all my learnings from the advisory work I have been doing in this space. Has there been other roles in between as well? I know you mentioned startups and all of that. Was that the same roles you were just referring to or have you done other things we've not discussed yet? Yeah, so in addition to my role as a clinical consultant at HealthShare, I also previously held the role of regional medical director at a startup called Telecare, which is Australia's largest and leading virtual health clinic for about a year and a half. And in addition, I was providing ad hoc advice to several other smaller startups and investing arms as well. Additionally, I also got myself involved with my local PHN because I wanted to see where I could find that intersectionality between my primary care expertise, digital health, but ultimately public policy in terms of regional strategy. And so I got myself involved with the clinical council at the Central Eastern Sydney PHN, and I am stepping up to be the deputy chair of that council this year. So many things in such a short space of time. How have all the other opportunities come about just briefly? Like, are they things you found on LinkedIn or are they network things? I feel like there's a lot of people trying to go from clinical to digital health and you seem to have done really well in that transition. I think it's all about keeping your eyes open because going back to those focus groups, it was Facebook posts and newsletters for my training organization, which I'm sure not many people end up reading. And opportunities with the PHN came from expressing my interest through, again, newsletters. In terms of my role with telecare, I was actually bound or headhunted to come on board while doing the Startmate Fellowship, which was something I did at the end of 2021. So again, that was through networks as well. The Telstra Health job was advertised, was an advertised job on LinkedIn. So that was something I kept my eyes and ears open for. So I would say is the best way to go around finding those jobs is one, keeping your eyes and ears open to various newsletters and opportunities that might come about. So emails that you might usually ignore. And the second thing is really building your network so that when these opportunities come about, they will come to you and they will let you know about these opportunities. Yeah, cool. That's amazing. I feel like that's lots of practical advice for anyone in a similar situation. You mentioned the Startmate Fellowship. I also did the Startmate Fellowship last year. Can you explain it for listeners that don't know what Startmate is? So Startmate is basically the epicenter of startups in Australia. It is an organization created, not only is it a VC organization, but it's an organization created to foster the startup culture in Australia. The Women's Fellowship, which I think was the one you did as well, Elise, the best way for me to describe it is a two-month MBA on steroids. And that it was basically a program to help women from a range of different industries and job levels to transition into the startup ecosystem. And they would provide things like panels, talks, mixes, 
But what I found truly important with it was the networking opportunities you had with it. And moving back to my earlier point that to get involved, you really got to build your network. You know, Startmate was crucial in helping me build my network. I did it in you know, the COVID lockdown haze of 2021 when Delta got us all locked down into our houses. But it was really great. Never felt alone because there were plenty of health tech companies out there who were willing to talk to me. And I think at that point, there wasn't a health tech company that where I haven't spoken to an operator or founder through the Startmate Fellowship. So I really have to thank Startmate for that. Yeah, so cool. The thing that I found as an unexpected benefit of it is they did a lot of reflective sort of work and values Mm. work, which we never do in med. And I started it and I was like, oh, even they did sessions on how to network. And I was like, oh, this is not really content. I want content, not these arbitrary skills. And by the end, I was like, those were the most valuable sessions because they actually forced me to think about myself in a way I've never done before. Absolutely. And I still remember the finding value session from Startmate because that's when I was able to articulate that for me, ambition was a huge driver for me. And it made me not ashamed to say that ambition was something I wanted to pursue and networking, God, at least I don't think you and I were taught how to network in medical school. We were taught how to talk to patients, how to talk to one another, how to do handovers, ISBAR and whatnot. But I don't think we were taught how to network. And I think really getting the uh, skills to do that through the fellowship was very crucial and very worth it. Mm, yeah, it was valuable in ways that I didn't expect it to be. So yes. if anyone's thinking of transitioning into anything startup related or even just getting those skills if you're not going to transition into startups worth looking into absolutely now i'm intrigued to hear if there's any particular things in gp that you want to see a digital health solution to so in your gp practice now do you use a lot of digital health is there a lot of stuff that you've implemented or is it still a bit restricted because I work in the public health system and that's very restricted based on what the public health system decides to invest in but I imagine GPs are a bit more flexible yeah no again I'm very lucky to have a practice owner who is very open and very receptive to my non-clinical endeavors so whenever I have a new cool technology I would like to try they're always open to try it and alongside with me as well so I would say we already use a whole range of digital health solutions in our daily practice, ranging from starting from a booking system all the way to a PMS. I still use HealthShare's Better Consult as my pre-consultation questionnaire to gather consult the patient's agenda before they walk into the room. Then we continue to use the PMS to and e-scripts as well to facilitate the consult. And recently, we've also added things like e-referrals through things like HealthLink. So New South Wales has recently launched a huge overhaul in how we refer to the outpatient departments and HealthLink e-referrals. Once you go there, you can never go back. In addition, also using tools like ConsultMed to send my referrals to the children's hospital and when you use ConsultMed, you can really tell that they've had ample amount of clinician co-design in it. Now, what would I like to see a digital solution for at the end of the day? I think we're already heading in the right direction in terms of getting the GPs to help design the solutions that ultimately they will be using in practice. But the big hairy goal for me is for any 
unreasonable admin time to be eliminated so that I don't have to do any unpaid work hours and so that I can spend every single minute of my consult time talking with the patient and being able to be present and be there with the patient as well. Because it's not just taking a history, not just doing an exam, but just being there for them as a human being. Are you talking about things like all the AI tools that describe your note for you and all of those sorts of things? I would be very interested. So that's a very interesting <laughs> concept for me to grasp around. I haven't quite found one to try yet. At least if you have any to recommend, please do let me know. And I would definitely like to give that a try. Mm, I feel like a lot of people are working on them. So hopefully we'll see it soon. I would love to not have to write my notes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm a fast typer, but I think sometimes I talk more than I type. So I end up still typing it anyway. Now you've just started a new role. So this may be a bit of a heavy question to ask you because you may not be thinking much beyond the new role that you're starting. But do you have much of a goal or plan for the future? Is there any dream job in digital health or clinical medicine that you're aiming towards? Yeah, I think at the moment in terms of my sort of four or five year plan, I think I've hit where I want to be, where I'm doing part-time clinical and part-time in digital health. But ultimately, where I want to end up being, to quote the Hamilton musical, I want to be in the room where it happens. So I want to hold maybe a leadership role, like a chief medical officer role in a big company that makes like system changing decisions. And that's something I'm working towards too. I'm trying to gain experience in all facets of that dream job. Can't wait to see it happen. I back you 100%. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, we've already gone through this a fair bit in terms of what would you advise someone who wants to make the transition from full-time clinical into digital health, whether that's full-time, part-time. I know you've already given a lot of advice, but is there anything else that you have to add to that? Two advice, I would say. Um, number one, don't be afraid to put yourself out there, even if it means creating a LinkedIn account. I remember when I first created one, I felt so cringe. I kept Googling, do I put doctor before my name? Do I put MD? Do I, what do I do? And just putting yourself out to the universe because there are plenty of people out there looking for a clinician to co-design with. And I'm really glad that's a culture now because I think in the past, before COVID, you know, it was very much the IT people do the IT stuff, the clinicians do the clinician stuff. But now you're seeing much more collaboration. Second advice I would give is not to devalue yourself because while there are plenty of people looking for a clinician to help them, there are plenty of people looking for a clinician to help them for free. And while that's great, just don't forget that you've gone through eons, years of medical school, years of medical training. I would say to always try to make sure that your time and effort is being valued. That's excellent advice. The last thing that we ask everyone that comes on the show is if you could do something completely outside of medicine, completely outside of healthcare, what would you do? And in this alternate reality, money and skill and all of those things are not an issue. Okay, can I give two answers for this? Yeah. Okay, the first one would be a Michelin star fine dining taster. You know, like those unknown people that walk into Michelin star places to like see how many stars they get. 
And the second thing is I would love to own my own vineyard in Australia because I think the climate's pretty good here. Definitely would like to produce some GSM, Beaujolais varieties, sulfite-free, of course, so that you don't get a headache the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. I feel like those two tie in pretty well, food and wine. Yes, you can tell I like my food and wine. (laughs) Love that. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech podcast network. Visit the Creative Careers in Medicine website in the show notes of this episode for more resources to help you find the courage, confidence and skills to take control of your career and forge your own unique path. The Creative Careers in Medicine podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, water and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders past, present and emerging. 